talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Hello and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, first seen in November 2022, when, if you wanted to, you could watch Apple TV's Will Ferrell retelling of A Christmas Carol, Netflix's animated musical retelling of A Christmas Carol, or Disney Plus's 4K remaster of the Muppet retelling of A Christmas Carol. I'm David Smith, and we'll be finding out what I made of the Guardian's holiday special shortly. Meanwhile, joining us to give his thoughts on the special is writer, broadcaster, and podcasting legend, Tim Worthington. Tim, where can people find you? Well, apparently being a podcasting legend by the sound of it. I would imagine most people listening to this know where to find me, but if you don't, which is bizarre because how are we listening to this, it's timworthington.org, where obviously I'm normally hosting this, also hosting Looks Unfamiliar, which is kind of, I don't know, I don't like to say anti-nostalgia podcast, because that makes it sound like, you know, I'm throwing bricks at people who remember Spangles or whatever, but <laughs> it's moving away from the cliches, it's talking about things that, as I always say, people remember that nobody else seems to and various other bits and pieces going on including hopefully in the new year and it's good except it sucks tie-in book but more about that when I've actually thought what to do with that and I will say it looks unfamiliar is a fantastic podcast and if you're not listening to that and you're listening to this go and give it a go it's fantastic and not just because I've been on a couple of episodes okay so before we go any further Tim what happens in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special basically what happens is having already established that Kevin Bacon is Earth's mightiest hero the Marvel Cinematic Universe now wants to prove that he's the real me of Christmas. And so they decide to kidnap him and take him back to their home on nowhere because after many years on the job, the Guardians have become such exceptional bounty hunters, they are now rich and famous. So I guess you could say they definitely know a thing or two about bringing home the bacon. <laughs> I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> So, Tim, how much did you know about Kevin Bacon before you saw this? Well, quite a bit, actually. I was trying to think when the first time I was really aware of him was, because I was a bit too young to see Footloose when it came out. I think I saw that kind of like a few of his early films, like She's Having a Baby. They were the sort of films that used to turn up on BBC One on the Saturday night in the days when there was, like, film of the week. But I think, really, it was Trevor's, which is completely forgotten now. And I loved that. I thought he was brilliant. And I actually think, for all the way he's become kind of a jokey pop culture icon and the whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing and so on. I think he's actually within the range of what he does, he's a very versatile performer and in fact he has links with Marvel as you and I have both talked about. X-Men First Class, he played Sebastian Shaw and played him really, really well. So I did know him quite well. Obviously he's done more serious things as well like JFK and A Few Good Men but I've got to be honest with you, I was not expecting him to have any further association with the Marvel Cinematic Universe than the throwaway Joke in Avengers Endgame. 
but here he is. Yeah, it's interesting, especially after they dig at him, where they say it's Footloose, the greatest movie of all time. It never was. He's still on board. I think it shows what a good sport he is, because apparently James Gunn came up with the idea for this holiday special way back when he was doing Guardians 2, and it's taken him a long time to film it, partly because, you know, obviously he went away from Marvel and he came back, and when they commissioned Guardians 3, he thought, I'm going to get this done at the same time. And I love that they ran with this and that Kevin was very interested in it and he was happy to do it and happy to be in the universe as himself because obviously that means he can't really be cast in any roles of any future characters that might come up unless they multiverse Sebastian Shaw back into it but yeah I had a good time with this what was your overall thoughts of the holiday special because obviously this is a reference to the Star Wars holiday special which is considered one of the worst pieces of media ever made which led me to be a little have a little trepidation about the Guardians one but what were your thoughts on it well anyone who's listened to basically I was going to say more than one of these but you know a quarter of one of these will know how much of a fan I am of the Guardians of the Galaxy how much I love those first two movies the second one in particular but I was excited about this from the word go because obviously you look at the title you've got Guardians of the Galaxy you've got Holiday Special so sort of the Christmassy in the self-aware way but also as you mentioned Holiday Special which to me you know you mentioned the Star Wars Holiday Special it's wrong to say that I love it as that really would just be being contrary for the sake of it but I love the idea of it because I've got a thing about notions of canon in inverted commas and people get really finickety about it is kind of a relatively recent invention you know this idea that something should be absolutely watertight to the specifications of the people who've appointed themselves the best at liking it that's where all this stupid fuss about whether Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Netflix shows count as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe comes from it's people who want to be in charge in a silly box ticking way the fact that the Star Wars Holiday Special exists and I should just point out as well it's only gained this notoriety since about 1998 or 9 because prior to that for anyone who's not seen it it's basically at the height of star wars mania it's a tv variety show it's a kind of spectacular where some star wars things happen with the cast a lot of not star wars related things happen with b arthur and jefferson airplane and actually were they jefferson starship by that point all manner of things like that and some very odd things like you meet chewbacca's family celebrating is it life day it's a mess but it went out once in america not over here and for a long time it was one of those things you would just see mentioned as something that happened with no context to it and as well my favorite era of star wars it was a time in the late 80s because obviously when they first came out i was obsessed with them like any kid that age but there was a brief couple of years where star wars was yesterday's thing where during that time all that came out i think was the droids cartoon the ewoks cartoon those lando carissian novels which are completely forgotten now and it's like nobody cared anymore you could get the toys for literally pence in bargain bins in Woolworths and they'd been the big Christmas present you know just two years earlier and it went through until whenever it was in the early 90s that George Lucas did the special editions you then got the Beastie Boys and people talking about Star Wars in kind of hipper terms but there's that brief phase where it was completely forgotten but that's kind of a sidetrack because the holiday special just wasn't known about at all and I think there's somebody who still had an off air of it did a web page just describing it with screen grabs and it kind of spiralled out from there but to me looking back 
obviously I didn't see the holiday special. I'm sure there were millions of kids in America who just watched it and thought, great, more Star Wars. Cynicism only comes into things later. It's like the way, if you got, back when The Empire Strikes Back was out, say, for example, not citing a personal example here at all, but a C-3PO soap on the road. That's like a stocking filler at Christmas. <laughs> and it had sort of background biographical information about C-3PO on the box. It was later either disregarded or contradicted. You didn't care. It was more Star Wars. And I can't throw in the direct Marvel parallel here, which is that when the Fantastic Four cartoon was on over here in the early 80s, and Marvel UK brought out a Fantastic Four comic to go with it, where it's reprinting the late 70s strips, which, you know, really weird. A lot of Agatha Harkness stories as the one where they have to shut Franklin Richards' brain down. The Shaper of Worlds puts them in kind of an invented 50s Americana. But in the cartoon, because they couldn't use the Human Torch, because we're talking about dimming him as part of what was the Marvel TV universe at that point, which never really took off, and he never came into it. But instead of him, Filmation developed a robot called Herbie. And all I remember thinking at the time, watching this cartoon that was very unlike the comics I was reading, thinking, they should have Herbie the robot in the comics. Yeah. Which they later did. And in fact, there's very few characters invented for the media that Marvel haven't used in some capacity. But yeah, that's kind of my feeling of it was that I know James Gunn isn't going to go in sneering at the holiday special he's going to celebrate in his own way in a very self-aware way the fact that it exists and I really think he did that because there are even direct nods to the Star Wars holiday special in it there are yeah I mean I have to say I am one of those I, I am of that generation where I've never seen it I've only ever heard people talking about how terrible it is so I feel like I can't really comment I made that remark the only thing I'm aware of is that people say it's terrible I've not seen it so I can't really comment on it but James Gunn said that he loved it growing up as well and that he used it as a lot of influence for this and I think it's really I had a lot of fun with it yeah it covers a lot of the typical things that you expect from a Christmas special in terms of you know it's got all the kind of the heartfelt message in it is about sort of the true meaning of Christmas and all this and it's something that we've seen before in other things about a sort of alien comes to earth and acts like a fish out of water doesn't understand what Christmas is and someone has to have it explained to them and they go too far and they go we've seen that story before but because it's with these characters that we love and we just love spending time with them and particularly Drax and particularly Mantis who we haven't really seen that much of in terms of characterization so it's great to see those characters again I have to say when I was watching it I thought the stuff on Earth was a little goofy like I say sort of like alien and human environment we've kind of seen that stuff before I did love the tourists that thought that Drax was Kratos from God of War I thought that was hilarious and also the fact that it not only establishes the GoBot slash Robo machines yes exist in the MCU, but also that Drax has a personal vendetta against GoPots, which I imagine went down very well with the Transformers fans watching. <laughs> I mean, he's got a personal vendetta against a few people, I think. I think we were, we're learning that about him. Because the thing is, even though it's a scenario we've seen before, the jokes in it were very good, like the joke about them seeing a candy cane and wondering if it was a little man and stuff like that. But we also saw, we saw stuff that we'd not seen before in terms of like when they're chasing Kevin Bacon through his house. Mantis was really terrifying when she was sort of leaping across the wall and like I didn't know that she could do that that was proper sort of horror vibes in that but at the same time you've got this cheesy Christmas themed music going through it and that was another thing I noticed as well was one of the reasons I love the Guardian movies so much is that James Gunn's soundtracks are just perfectly picked every single time and I never realised how much I wanted a Christmas soundtrack by him I love Christmas music I've got hundreds and hundreds of different songs but the stuff that he has where he picks a mixture of like stuff that everybody knows like Fairy Tale of New York but then he's got songs by the Smashing Pumpkins Fountains of Wayne in there and he 
he's even written his own stuff as well, which the first time I heard it, I was a little, oh, what's this? But the sort of Chinese whispersness of the lyrics where he kind of misinterprets all the things about Christmas. I, I thought that was fantastic the second time I, I saw it, and especially Quill's reactions the whole time, heckling them, going, that's not right. What, where did that come from? It was brilliant. Well, some of those lyrics are actually references to apparently some old classic American holiday specials, things like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes. I should say, by the way, about the soundtrack, I think we just need to acknowledge there has been some pushback about it using Fairy Tale in New York because that is quite a... It's a bit of a tinderbox of a song these days. Nobody's ever quite sure what the right stance to have on it is. Although, yeah. you know, the right stance to me is the Pogue shouting at Lawrence Fox on Twitter. <laughs> but I will say it does not include the contentious lyrics in the episode. And also, it is what Peter Quill would have had on his Walkman at the time of the animated flashback, which, again, you know, directly reference to the Star Wars Holiday Special and he is the sort of person who would be personally affected by the discourse about fairy tale in New York which obviously they weren't going to explore in this but I didn't really have a problem with it being there other than the fact I think it stopped people noticing did you notice what happened to the Marvel ident at the start? I've watched it twice now I don't think I did (laughs) what did they do with that? Well you know where it normally has flicking through clips of you know Captain America rocket firing his gun etc yeah really appear in that it was replaced with comic panels showing christmas scenarios in the actual comics you know most including santa it also had kitty pride fighting the demon in the x-men ship demon which i've mentioned a couple of times was confiscated from me as a child (laughs) because it (laughs) was a bit too horrific but what a lovely thing to do with it yeah and i I love because the beginning of every single one and you saw at the beginning of wakanda forever it was entirely themed around chadwick and at the beginning of end game it was missing all the people that had been dusted in the snap i love that they change that every single time because it does it keeps it fresh and it's not the same thing over and over again and it's they're aware they try and do everything they can to make things as original as possible and they're very self-aware of trying not to be too repetitive trying not to be too formulaic they're very very self-aware of how they're perceived yeah i thought that was a fantastic little nod because the thing is when you do a christmas special something like this obviously it's not like a running periodical television show where they're going to have a christmas episode every year it's very rare when you have a series like this where you can talk about christmas and you can set something at christmas because you don't know when the films are going to come out dates get moved around and it just depends on a whole bunch of release schedules and things like that so having a thing i mean i remember watching i think it was ted lasso last summer where they had a christmas episode that came out in july and that was really bizarre to watch because you want something that comes out sort of november december time so having this idea to do something in the marvel universe and this is the third christmas themed thing that they've put out after iron man 3 and hawkeye and i just think it's fantastic i think it's something that you can watch every single year if if you're into that sort of thing i love that they took this opportunity because yeah this one month a year where we all listen to the same music every single year (laughs) we have the same traditions and it's something that just everyone can come together and just watch it and sort of whatever genre of stuff you're into you can come together and watch it and sort of enjoy the christmasiness of it all one thing though mentioning iron man 3 that did stand out to me in this particularly because it's set at christmas is mantis and drax pose for photos outside the chinese theatre for money from tourists which was destroyed in Iron Man 3 it was I mean obviously you know there was time enough for it to be rebuilt and so on but that really did strike me as the sort of thing they would normally throw in a line about true but I think you don't want to be doing that too much I think 
because how would they have known that? I think there's a time and a place for it, and I think people just see it, and it's, it's something that keen fans will notice in the background, but I think that you can be too on the nose with these sort of things. I think it's okay. It's just when you have, when you go to the sort of usual locations that we see a lot in films, you know, they're always in London or New York or Los Angeles or somewhere like that. I think it's okay to just go, yeah, they're in the same place. You know, we can recognize that. And also because James Gunn, I think he likes his stuff to be sort of self-contained and not be connected too much to the other things that's going on. You know, he's obviously the Guardians get used in Avengers and Thor, Love and Thunder. But I think he quite likes that the Guardians are their own little thing in their own little corner of space. And there's not much in the way of overlap with that. So that might have been his own personal choice to do that. Because I don't think even with the post credit scene or things like that in this, there's no real connection to anything else apart from one brilliant reference in the gift that Nebula gives Rocket. There is one thing that I absolutely loved, which is there are posters up for Kingo's Christmas. Yes. I imagine quite a lot of people listening still haven't seen Eternals, but Kingo is an Eternal who becomes a Bollywood star, mainly out of boredom over the centuries. Yes. And I want to see Kingo's Christmas. Yeah, I just want to see Kingo again. Yes, because a couple of times he's been slated to be in things, which, you know, we might come back to later on, but it's not been possible because of the whole schedule disruption. Yeah. But and... he's the most fun one of them by far. Definitely. And Kumail Nanjiani is so good. It does make me worry a little bit because I heard you talking about in your Wolf by Night special with Kirsten. We haven't seen Blade since. We haven't seen Kit Harrington's character since. And what is going on with the Eternals? Are the Eternals ever going to be seen again or are they just going to be sort of acknowledged as a film that wasn't as successful as it should have been and just sort of cast away because they've got so many characters that some of them will fall by the wayside. And I really hope that doesn't happen. And I love the fact that they're putting in its background stuff, you know, like people see the Chinese theatre, people see Kingo's advertisement. It's a nice reminder that they're still there and they're still in their minds and that there's a thought that fans of those characters can know that they might see those characters again. I quite like all that stuff, yeah. And there's also I mean, well done to James Gunn for having the sense of humour about himself and also the daring to do this. It establishes, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe... DC is a fictional enterprise. Yes. It does that twice. Kevin Bacon suggesting he would be happy to play Bruce Wayne and Batman and there's a resounding chorus of who's Bruce Wayne. But also, when they're looking for Kevin Bacon's house, there's a map showing their progress. The other homes of the stars appear on it. It's people like Marco Robbie, it's DC stars. Yeah. To indicate that they are actors. They are not fictional characters. I love that because obviously there's this overlap between DC and Marvel. Thank to James Gunn because he's now going off to do whatever he wants to do with DC and it reminds me a lot of when The Simpsons and Futurama were on at the same time. Futurama was a TV show in the Simpsons universe and The Simpsons was a TV show in the Futurama universe and I loved that. I love that there's sort of because the thing is as much as there's this tribalism, this division between Marvel and DC fans for one to succeed the other one must fail and all that stuff. It's really not true. They are competitors but if you have two successful competitors they will make each other better. You know having one franchise be really dominant and really good and the other one failing that's not as good as if you have two fantastic franchises so I would love nothing more than to see DC succeed because it would help Marvel push themselves further so I think having that acknowledgement and you know because they must have they would have had to clear that right they would have had to clear using the names Bruce Wayne and Batman in that so there must be some sort of relation going on between Marvel and DC whether that would lead to anything in terms of crossovers later on that might be a step too far but I love that sort of acknowledgement in it we get a few interesting 
revelations and developments in terms of the characters. Apparently, since we last saw them, the Guardians have bought nowhere from the Collector. And Who now ha- obviously it. survived Infinity War, and it did not look great for him. He's yes. basically being blinked out of reality by Thanos before the snap even happened. Well, that was a fake Collector that Thanos created with a reality stone to fool the Guardians. So the real, we never, I don't think we ever see the real Collector. We just see his house on fire. So it may be that he gave up the reality stone without as much as a whimper and just ran away. As I understand it, the Guardians own nowhere in the comics. Like, that's their headquarters. Is that correct? At various points, yes. Which is why it was great that they've now brought Cosmo in properly. Yes. Because I did think all we would get would be, you know, the dog occasionally running around in the background, which I didn't have an issue with. I could see why you would do that in a film where there's already so much going on. But Cosmo is head of security on Nowhere. And I think they've actually done it really well. I like what they've done with the voice. They've maintained the balance between being this, you know, hyper-intelligence as a head of security and being a dog. Yeah. Who brings a skinned all over oh, to Drax. I love, uh, I love Cosmo so much. I was so excited to see Cosmo because last year, in the beginning of this year, I played through the Guardians of the Galaxy video game that came out, which if you haven't played it, if you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. You can watch the entire story on YouTube. You don't have to buy the game if you don't have a console. It's basically a sort of, it's the Guardians in another universe, but it's them as you know them from the films. It really keeps the spirit of the films. It's brilliant. And Cosmo is in that game. He shows up in that a lot and he is exactly as you describe he's a dog he's got puppies but at the same time he's this super intelligent being i am going to have to get used to the voice because i'm so used to having played so much of that game i'm so used to going up to cosmo and just hearing him go welcome guardian of galaxies so i mean we don't know cosmo's gender but hearing cosmo with a female voice is going to take a while getting used to for me oh i love cosmo so much i was so happy to see it seems like they're now a member of the guardians and i want to know the story behind that well it has been suggested that volume three will be the last outing for the guardians in this iteration at least but if they're bringing cosmo in and also adam's coming into it nova at some point is appearing and i think given the number of mentions of mutants that they've been recently kitty pry can't be far off showing up so I would imagine there will be some other form of Guardians of the Galaxy going forward. Apparently, Dave Bautista's contract is up and he said he's kind of happy if Drax's story is finished in Guardians 3, so there's a possibility that he's not going to be around. I know that James Gunn's favourite character is Rocket and it seems like Guardians 3 is going to be going into Rocket's backstory and it's going to be a very Rocket-centred film. So I'm slightly worried that our favourite little furry friend is also going to not be around much anymore. You've also then got the question of Gamora and where is Gamora? Why is Gamora? Is she going to be sticking around especially if Zoe Saldana's got something like two billion Avatar films to make Karen Gillan said she's happy not to do Nebula any further as well yeah so there's quite a few because you can't keep the actors around forever especially if they're putting on that much makeup every single time they have to you know getting all their skin painted and everything I think Chris Pratt will stick around because he's their main man and I think they want him around for the next Avengers films but yeah if they bring in people like Cosmo if they maybe bring in like it seems like Craglin's getting a bigger role now Vin Diesel just has to go into a booth and yell I am Groot in 20 different languages and he gets a big paycheck so I imagine they'd want to keep him around because Groot is the most marketable I think of all of them they can make so many figurines and things with Groot also apparently Groot is huge now when did that happen? he's this massive big sort of he looks like he's been to the gym far too many times even though Kraglin says he's still just a kid so apparently he's still like a teenager or he certainly still acted like a teenager he didn't act like the Guardians 1 Groot he's just this massive bulky steroid abusing big tree well that's an interesting question how much time has elapsed 
difference between Thor, Love and Thunder and this in story terms. I mean, now it's only a couple of months in the real world, but, you know, Groot was still basically Infinity War Endgame Groot. And I must say, actually, having felt a little bit shortchanged by Thor, Love and Thunder, which was promoted as featuring the Guardians of the Galaxy, made it sound like it was going to be an integral part of the story. Basically, they just turn up, do a few one-liners. All very funny, but then disappear again and don't come back at the end like I thought they might do. I am so glad that we got this. And also that, as you mentioned, it focused on Drax and Mantis, who obviously in the actual Guardians movies, they're given plenty to do. They didn't have that much to do in, well, really only Infinity War, because in Endgame, they just punch a few people. I don't think either of them have any lines in it, do they? And also mentioning Mantis being revealed as a little bit unpleasant in this. I think that's hinted at sometimes in the previous movies, particularly things like when she says to Star-Lord and Thor, oh yes, use knives. When somebody suggests that (laughs) they should fight for the honour of being captain. She does do some very selfish things. I think that's been used in a really clever way here. It's not like she's gone evil. It's like she occupies a morally grey space and makes decisions based on what's in front of her basically which makes perfect sense in the context of a character who's ostensibly well-meaning but doesn't understand anyone else's system's morality. I think that's exactly it and I think because she's had such a sheltered upbringing she doesn't really know right or wrong and kind of goes along with whatever the people next to her are saying and is kind of naive and easily manipulated in that way. I was a little worried about Drax because like you say they haven't had much to do since Guardians 2 and since then particularly Drax has been only really used for punchlines. He's very much the kind of comic relief character. When I was watching this, I was worried he's getting a little flanderized. They're exaggerating the parts of him that make people laugh in the same way that they did with Joey Tribbiani and Friends, where he just got dumber and dumber and dumber as the series went on because that was what made people laugh and they just pushed it further. I'm worried that Drax is getting, he's losing the sort of, his monologues in Guardians 2 about beautiful people never know who to trust and things like that. You know, he's got some brilliant, brilliant lines and we don't really see that in either of the Avengers films or in this. We just see him, you know, with his big cackling laugh, getting shot at, not taking any damage, clutching a little elf man and thinking that the candy cane is a man and things like that. It feels like I'm a little worried that they're going to go down that route in Guardians 3. I would love to see him get more to do and have more of a serious sort of outlook on life because the thing is, the other reason I think he's not going to be around after Guardians 3 is that his arc is kind of complete. When we meet him in Guardians 1, he wants revenge on Thanos for killing his family and Thanos is now dead. So what else is there for him to do narrative-wise? I can see that. Also, I really want to see more of Mantis, so I'm glad that she's being given a bit more depth, a bit more to do, because the thing that really stood out to me in this was, obviously, when they're meeting all the people dressed as costume superheroes, when she sees a very, you know, a Captain America that made John Walker in the Captain America outfit look like it was perfectly tailored to him, and shouts Steve (laughs) and runs up and tries to kiss him. I love that that hinted at, you know, an unseen interaction where she's got to know him as Steve. Yeah, because the only time we ever see them, obviously there's the battle in Endgame, but outside of that, the only time they would have met would have been at Tony Stark's funeral. There must have been, you know, if they're hanging around at the wake afterwards or whatever, having drinks or something like that, sharing stories, there must have been some time where they all got to know each other. Because I don't think, when you talk about Rocket getting Bucky's arm, like, did he ever meet Bucky? He was on Earth working with the Avengers when Bucky was snapped. He didn't know his name at that point. He was just, you know, 
a guy on the battlefield with a metal arm. So I love that. And this was something I want them to acknowledge because this is the, as much as we talk about Guardians being separate and sort of its own little enclosed thing, Rocket and Nebula were alone for five years while the rest of the Guardians were snapped between Infinity War and Endgame. And so they will have gone through a lot. And I feel I want them to acknowledge that because the only thing that we get here when they're doing all the gifts giving at the end, and I, I love when they give the presents, like getting Groot a Game Boy, for example. Yes. That I just, I love that so much. And Groot making the dioramas that basically play out the entire story, including the diorama of Kraglin holding the diorama of Kraglin holding the diorama. <laughs> That tree is an artist. But I loved the moment between Nebula and Rocket because obviously those two have spent more time with each other than they really have with any of the other Guardians. And so those two must be really close now. So for Nebula to give Rocket Bucky's arm, there's just that tiny little moment between the two of them that like these people are really close now. And also I loved it because people were saying, well, like, where did she get the arm from? Apparently James Gunn replied on Twitter to someone and said that Nebula just went to Earth and just ripped it off Bucky's arm. Which I love the idea of her just breaking into his house and him then having to call up Wakanda and go, yeah, sorry, some blue lady came and just ripped my arm off. Could you make me another one, please? But I really hope that they acknowledge that in Guardians 3, that Rocket has some, because he'll have had a lot of emotional character development during that, losing them all and getting them all back. And I really hope that they don't just ignore that, which I'm slightly worried that they're going to do. Well, I'm hopeful that we will see more because it was done very subtly in Endgame. I've always particularly been struck by the fact that Nebula very informally calls, well, calls Rhodey, Rhodey. But in yes. kind of we're mates way, it's just suggested by things like that. She's had time to, which well, had no option but to interact with people on a, I suppose, a more human level, for want of a better word. But yeah. I would like to see, in the same way as in Hawkeye, we got to see more of Yelena between Black Widow and what's currently happening. You know, we yes. got to find out the mission she was on, what happened because she was snapped, obviously. I am very much predicting at this point, if you've got an 18 part series called Daredevil Born again, <laughs> we will see what happens to all the Netflix characters during the snap. Oh, that would be brilliant. I would like to see a couple of things like that revisited. Just a couple of details filled in. In, I suppose, much the same way as the Black Widow movie did for parts of Natasha's missing history. The thing that they've got very good at is if someone mentions, like, the line about the entire reason we got that Black Widow movie because of the line in Avengers 1 where they say, you know, you and I remember Budapest very differently. And people were asking what happened in Budapest. So, you know, cut to 11 years later and we finally find out what happened and I love that they pick up those threads and this stuff particularly in Endgame they did this they picked up threads of things that were an offhand comment and they ran with it and I really hope that they keep doing that the average viewer the average casual viewer is not going to notice that but the people that have been watching every single one will because I think personally looking back I still think Endgame is the best film they've ever made because every single line is used almost perfectly every single line is a reference to something it's a callback nothing is wasted in that film I love when they do that and they sort of without mentioning certain other franchises that go a bit too heavy on the fan service and it just becomes cheap and cheesy they get the balance exactly right with it and i really hope that they keep doing that going forward especially with all the characters they've got now there's so much that they could do you know you just need one line to say this is what i've been doing or this is what i've been working on or remember when we did that and i think that's easy enough to do that's what this was for when they say it's a good thing that we managed to buy this from the collector or something like that there's just one line that's clearly exposition but i saw James Gunn mentioned in an interview that he wanted to use the holiday special to explain things so that he didn't have to in the runtime of Guardians 3. So when you get to Guardians 3, this is where they are and go. 
and they can just get on with the story and the character development. And I think that's the right move. And I think that's what they've been talking about, like the role of the TV shows in relation to the films and how they said you don't need to watch the television shows to understand the films. And clearly you do. I mean, if you go into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, having not seen WandaVision, you're going to be baffled as to why Wanda suddenly has a tiara and two kids. And so I like the idea of them using the TV shows to just explain backstory. And, you know, obviously they're going to be their own thing. They're going to be fun. But explaining the backstory, that means you can go into the films and they don't need to waste time doing that. You know, it's not necessary for you to enjoy the film, but for the people that care about the backstories and things like that, it's there if they're interested. And if they're not interested, they don't need it. Well, that's how it was done originally. All those now quite maligned earlier shows, you know, you get things like, how did Nick Fury have that device that cut him out of the car in Captain America, the Winter Soldier? Well, if you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yes. it builds that and demonstrates it to someone. But it doesn't bother you watching the film because it makes sense that Nick Fury would have a gadget like that. But if you want that background detail, it's there. And that's how it was previously done. And I'm all in favour of that, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. The other big revelation we haven't even talked about yet, that Quill and Mantis are brother and sister. Which I did not see coming, but it made absolute sense the second it was raised. Yeah, it's one of those things where you think, well, of course it is. Like, where else would Mantis have come from like she's been living on that planet with ego all those years it's the sort of thing where people are thinking why did i never see that before yeah it's it's total total sense and it was one of the things that i loved because in every christmas special you need a heartwarming moment at the end you need a moment all about family and all that stuff and mantis telling quill that she's a sister was absolutely beautiful and i think pong clementiev's acting was so so good in that it was the perfect thing you could have for a christmas special and then it's immediately preceded by the revelation about yondu and about how his Christmas present to Quill were Quill's guns and we get the backstory of how Quill got his guns and I loved that as well and I just loved that we got more Yondu because I thought we wouldn't see him again after Guardians 2 we got him in What If and now we've got him in this and it was just oh I thought it was fantastic absolutely and we also got that post credit scene where Groot oh, is being yes. dressed like a Christmas tree which doesn't go well and needs Rocket to say that now we need another special yes Rocket breaks the fourth wall amazing but I also wondered given that it's been established that a few contrary to what we're saying about DC earlier quite a few other franchises and shows and so on exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe particularly The Wire has been acknowledged a couple of times as in you know the characters have been acknowledged Arrested Development but also the main one is Community yes where you oh. know there are characters obviously supposed to be relatives of Community characters although I maintain it's actually Dean Pelton I mean it, it would make genuinely it would be... is in all but name was this a deliberate nod to the post credit scene in one of the Community Christmas Oh, Christmas well, Troy, oh, Christmas yes, Troy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> And again, Donald Glover has been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah, and Spider-Man he... Into the Spider-Verse. Was it an intentional community nod? I can't see it being anything but that. I don't know if it's... I would love if it was. I would absolutely love if it was because I love community so much. But I think it's just that they thought, I mean, Groot is a tree. What do you do with trees at Christmas time? <laughs> I would love it. But I just... The first thing I saw when I saw that was Groot's a tree and they're hanging decorations on him. That's amazing. I love that. I am expecting a Christmas tree group to show up in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special Lego Advent calendar. Oh yes, that'll be day 25, that's what that'll be. Oh the new spaceship that they have is called the Bowie as well, which was fantastic to see as well, because I think they had the Benatar and they had Milano, now they've got the Bowie and I love that, I just love to see the new spaceship because was that in Thor Love and Thunder or did, where did they get it from? I want to know the story behind that why Bowie, is it just it's a tribute to him? And it's huge as well, it's absolutely massive when you see Kevin Bacon and Craglin in there with all the decorations and everything, it's a massive ship. Yeah, a lot more of Peter Quill's hook-ups will be getting lost in there. I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's that moment when 
when they're sitting in the boy where Kevin Bacon gets a phone call from his wife. I mean, you really can get everything everywhere. I'm surprised Kevin Bacon had such a problem with being held hostage. You know, he's been held hostage by his advertising contract with EE. And of course he sings in it because he has a surprisingly little known career as the Bacon Brothers with his brother because they're huge country rock stars. But obviously, you know, generally that doesn't translate to the wider world. He can be a megastar in the country music scene. And unless you're Shania Twain, almost unknown to the outside world. (laughs) I mean, yeah, tell me about it. As a country music fan who, when I try and explain to people that I'm going to see a musician that's won 20 Grammy Awards and they go, I've never heard of them. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) they're a country music grant. So I I think that's everything I've got to say on this. So I have one final question for you about the holiday special, Tim. We now have three Christmas stories set in the MCU, Iron Man 3, Hawkeye and Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Which do you think is the best one and who should get a Christmas special next? It's difficult to say which I think is the best. I mean, it's not Iron Man 3, as much as I like that. It's an interesting film. A lot happens all at once. It's possibly (laughs) a little overstuffed and they did kind of have to retrospectively apologise for some aspects of it. We've seen fine at the time, but as I've said a number of times, back when they made the first Iron Man film, they didn't know that three dozen films later they'd have to be explaining some of the contemporary The the Ten Rings and things like that, yeah. Yeah, that kind of pushes Iron Man 3 into third place, which, you know, given that it's three, is probably appropriate for it. (laughs) But I cannot decide between this and Hawkeye. If I was pushed, I would probably have to say Hawkeye because I was not expecting to enjoy that at all. And it was one of the most fun TV-watching experiences I've had in a very long time. Everything about it I loved. And on top of that, we did get Kingpin back in it. So Hawkeye would just edge it for me. I feel terrible saying that given this is about the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. But at a push, I'm going to say that. Who I think should have a Christmas special next... This is kind of me being, well, what a surprise, a little contrary, but I would say Ms. Marvel because I would like them not to do Christmas next time, but to do another religious festival. Yes, I actually, I had the same thought when I was thinking about this. The thing is, you can only tell so many Christmas stories before they all end up being the same Christmas story, partly because I think having another religious festival is just, is another sort of branching out and showing parts of the world and parts of culture that we never normally get to see in the West, but also because I just love Ms. Marvel so much. Much. I just I want to spend every I want every single MCU thing going forward to have Miss Marvel in it because I just think Iman Vellani and Kamala Khan are just the best people and I just want to be her best friend. I think she's fantastic in her show. Out on the third planet closest to the sun, there's a special celebration and it sounds quite fun. A jolly old fellow brings toys to everyone on a holiday they call Christmas. That's perfect. Good. Beezer. Good job. Now I'm not gonna lie, it no, makes more. no sense to me. But here's what I've discovered about this Christmas mystery. I'm super busy. Is this is this a long song? One, two, three, four! Santa is a furry freak with epic superpowers. He flies to every human home in under 14 hours. He's a master burglar. No. A pro at picking locks. No. If you don't leave milk and cookies out, he will put dung in your socks. That is not part of the lore at all. If you act nicely through the night and don't jump on your bed, Santa comes with sugar plums and hurls them at your head. But if you're on his naughty list, he shoots missiles at your toes. He might just roast your chestnuts with his powerful flamethrower. No! He doesn't have a flamethrower! Rain, rain, rain!
kind of cool. Dear, 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 dear. I don't know what Christmas is, but Christmas time is here. Speaking of which, shall we talk about Phase 4? Yes, because I think this is a good point to... Because obviously this is, by accident rather than design, the conclusion of Phase 4. I mean, it very clearly wasn't originally planned that way, for reasons we'll come on to. But it's a good moment to take a look back. And I think we've got to face up to the fact that... Now, this isn't reflected at all in box office takings or generally in the opinions of most normal cinema goers who are just going to see a film at the end of the week. But got to face up to the fact this whole, this entire run of films and TV series has not been as popular. And to a large extent, I don't agree with the cited reasons, but it wouldn't be right to just dismiss that. I think there's a couple of points in particular worth particularly concentrating on. The first thing really to say is, I know it doesn't excuse some things being better than others, but in some ways it does, because you look at things like how it impacted the production of What If, but the pandemic, a lot of this was more or less in the can by the end of 20. 2019. You only have to think of that hubristic press conference they did, you know, that big launch late in 2019, where the main thing to note in there, I think I mentioned this before, but Leah McHugh, who was Sprite in Eternals, she's like a schoolgirl in that, and, you know, she's now a fully grown woman, so that indicates how long has gone on between Eternals being shot, and I say Eternals coming out, we're now, you know, a year on from that, but that was also the one where, at the end, Herschel and Ali came on the surprise as Blade. Yeah, I remember that. Still yet to properly appear. There should have been a six-month gap, if that, after Spider-Man Far From Home, and then straight back in. But it ended up being 18 months, and that's a lot of time for people to get fed up in or to discover something else they're more interested in. And also the complete order changed. And as well as the headaches of what to do with an ongoing story, I mean, it's very obvious some post-credit scenes are being changed or removed completely. you got things like America Chavez being taken out of Spider-Man No Way Home because originally that was supposed to come out after Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, yep. which would make Doctor Strange being a bit of a git to Peter Parker make a little <laughs> bit more sense as well. And even that, I don't think they spotted everything because Multiverse of Madness again is that scene where him and Wanda dismissively refer to Clint as the Archer with the Mohawk, which yeah. a sets up the idea that he can't call on anyone else for help in Hawkeye, which again ended up coming out before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But b he got rid of the Mohawk by then. The order changed. Scheduling headaches caused by things like where cinemas even going to open. I mean, there was talk at one point of Black Widow just coming out online. When you look at the original order, it starts with Black Widow and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which are really kind of what you'd expect. It was picking up straight on from Spider-Man Far From Home. They are in the more traditional thing. Then you get Eternals. Now, isn't it interesting that they're, I say the three least well-received of Phase 4, but Black Widow and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, least well-received in the sense that nobody really noticed them, nobody commented on them, nobody mentions them now. You've got two conventional stories, then one hinting at something really weird going on. Then you've got Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which brings in the idea of the multiverse and multiple realities. Then suddenly in a row, you've got WandaVision, Loki, Multiverse of Madness, Spider-Man No Way Home, and What If? So you've got a big glut of the multiverse all in one go. And yeah. then it ends on Hawkeye and Thor, Love and Thunder. 
thunder. That again makes Thor Love and Thunder a bit different. It's like a kind of kick off your shoes wind down at the end of it all, which may have made people better disposed if it was like that. I've got Wakanda Forever, Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, Werewolf by Night, She-Hulk, and the Holiday Special weren't part of Phase 4 originally. They were just brought forward because, well, they were ready. <laughs> Production of the fans that far and they were made. And I think people are not taking all of that into account enough in their criticisms. I think that's completely fair. And I think when I look back on it, I think, yes, the pandemic basically ravaged it. They had to do so many things differently. They had to rearrange things. They had to rewrite stuff. So I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt there. I think for me personally, it's probably about the quality of Phase 2, where Phase 2 had a couple of mediocre sequels in it. It introduced some new characters that we were all intrigued about. The one thing that Phase 4 was missing was a big team-up film. And that's why I think it's not had the impact that would have had otherwise that Phase 1, 2 and 3 had with theirs. I also think the problem is that phase three was so good overall and ended on such a euphoric high with infinity war and endgame like that was a cinematic moment for a generation in my opinion i think that's it was like empire strikes back or lord of the rings infinity war and endgame were one of those moments where you were counting down the days until the next part came out and you'll be talking about it for years about what it was like to be in a cinema with people seeing it all for the first time and i think anything that has to follow that is going to struggle. It reminds me of, I was thinking about this the other day, it reminds me of, do you remember the TV series Heroes in the mid-2000s? I do indeed. <laughs> yes, there were many things that went wrong with Heroes, but Heroes season one is one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen. And if you don't know Heroes, Heroes was a show about people in the real world developing superpowers. The way that show introduced characters one by one, started off slowly, introduced MacGuffins, introduced plot points that added to the mystery, and slowly built up the tension, ramped it up, got the characters crossing over with each other and by the end the last few episodes were non-stop it was a hugely thrilling ride there were twists and turns all over the place and it ended in a fantastic payoff and a brilliant finale that was just utterly amazing and people raved about it they said this was fantastic then they started season two and they tried to do the same thing again with a slow build up introducing characters and for several reasons it, it got truncated and other things happened but people didn't like the fact that they went back to the beginning again and they started slow and introduced characters again they had had that high of the finale and they wanted that to continue and the expectations were expecting it to be like that from then on and so I think that's the problem Infinity War and Endgame were so good and if you want to build up another saga you have to start at the beginning again and we've seen them start with mysteries like Shang-Chi's rings we've got the mystery of the Marvels and the stuff that's going on there you've got Miss Marvel's bracelet you're introducing these new things and we're going to find out where they are in the next couple of phases and so I'm willing to give them time to explain all those and then we can look back and judge the same way that we judge the Infinity Saga as a whole now. So looking back at it, I think, yes, there was some messy stuff. I don't think there was anything that was truly terrible. You know, if you look back at phase one and phase two, I feel the same. I think like the worst thing was maybe a six or seven out of 10. I think there weren't that many things that were a 10 out of 10, if I'm honest. Like even people that were going crazy over No Way Home. Like as much as I love No Way Home, as much as I'm amazed that they managed to pull off that many characters and that many callbacks and have it work as a film, I was still kind of sad. And this is something that I'm worried about with the whole multiverse saga is that they kind 
kind of let the character development and the world that they built over the previous two Spider-Man films all kind of fell to the wayside in terms of all like the high school characters, uh, Peter's fellow students and things like that, all kind of got reduced to a 30 second appearance because they had so much multiverse stuff to be dealing with and so many characters to do. And I think I'm slightly worried that the multiverse aspect of it is going to take over and we're going to lose the characterization and the things that help us love these characters so much. And the other problem with doing a multiverse saga is that people's expectations are now sky high. I mean, the number of rumours that were going around about who was going to show up in Multiverse of Madness alone. The problem is that, again, people's expectations were so high. And yes, we got a couple of cool cameos, but like people were talking about Tom Cruise showing up as alternate universe Iron Man and things like that. That's the issue, is that they have done so well in making all their crossovers seem so slick and so intertwined and work so well. The bar is so high now that even if something is like if something is a 7 out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10 people think of it as a step down the thing is they've made a lot of shows and a lot of films over the past couple of years and yes they've all been compressed because of covid and because of just trying to get the stuff out there because they have to because it has to chronologically it has to make sense i can understand all that but i do think that they've thought we've got billions of dollars here we've got hundreds of characters let's make everything and i think particularly we've heard the stories about visual effects artists really having suffering under the expectation and the crunch of all the things that they have to do and i think they're slowly learning that with the way that they have originally Avengers 5 and 6 were going to be six months apart they're now a year apart Blade was going to come out next year it's now the year after they're very self-aware of their criticisms and they are taking their time to make sure the stuff gets done right and I'm glad to see that because they're aware of it we talked about the finale of She-Hulk basically they know what they're like they know what they're seen as they know what they're perceived as the problems that they have and the fact that they're aware of that they're aware of you know having a formulaic third act and all of them have the same plot points and things like that they know that and the question is they've acknowledged that can they change that can they improve that and will they reach the highs that they reached before and i think now that they're introducing kang in the next film with ant-man and the wasp quantum mania when people start seeing him and he starts showing up in a lot of things and this is properly can not he who remains that was in loki this is proper kang I think the arc will start to form, the saga will start to take shape, and people might look a little more fondly back on Phase 4. But for now, yes, it's been a bit of a mess. Yes, they maybe bit off a bit more than they can chew. Yes, they were screwed over by the pandemic. But I think this is a transitional phase anyway. I'm optimistic that they will be able to keep going forward and they'll be able to deliver what they've delivered so far. I think you're absolutely right there. I'll come back to this in a second, but one thing I think is, mentioning the, as we have been doing, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday, they special and werewolf by night both of those television shorts have been more successful overall as in artistically successful than most of the tv series since they moved to disney plus and several of the phase four films as well yeah as much as i liked wakanda forever it is three times the length of werewolf by night and it doesn't do nearly as much in nearly as acceptable a time frame but i will say i absolutely understand as you say infinity war and endgame was such a moment i completely accept that there will be people who saw them thought that's great i'm done with that now that's fair enough whether that makes it okay for them to then sneer at and insult people who are still watching these things is a different question i mean it's hard not to take it personally when we keep coming back to the pandemic but at the start of that i had tickets for three things a great petri gig which eventually only happened in may this year there was the secret cinema regarding the galaxy volume 2 which again only happened earlier this year and was fantastic it was absolutely mind-blowing, I should say, and tremendous fun to take part in. 
And there was Black Widow. Now, when you're going to see that and, you know, you're tweeting saying, I can't explain how much of a relief it feels to be going to see this film in the cinema after what's happened over the past, well, it was 18 months at that point, and people are insulting you in the replies. Yeah. It is difficult not to take that very personally. I mean, it isn't a universal view, because I would say one thing I always try to do with this is get a range of different guests with different levels of interest in Marvel full stop, or even within that different areas of expertise like for example you're very invested in the movies and the tv shows and we've had al kennedy who's very invested in the comics but outside of that i like to get people with not as much investment and i would say that i don't think multiverse of madness and thor love and thunder if you look at what the fans in the verse commas say weren't very well received but you know ellie may on the former catherine on the latter both loved what they were watching on face value and i think that's really important the view of the people who've got fed up of marvel for whatever their reason is not necessarily the majority view. Again, they might have different opinions on whether that's right or not, but the one factor that is still really, really making my teeth itch about the whole thing is the only time I ever get complaints about this podcast, I mean, they get complaints about looks unfamiliar all the time. It's normally, but I remember that. And like, well, <laughs> that's not actually the point, mate. But about this, it's only from people who object to, in the intros to the, you know, because do different intros when there's a TV show or when we're even visiting something but in the movies where I reference not even really in a disparaging way but what Ken Loach Martin Scorsese and Jennifer Anderson have been up to (laughs) I get a lot of messages saying maybe it's time to let that go now eh mate maybe you've bullied Ken Loach enough they never mentioned (laughs) Jennifer Anderson fully enough there was one actually someone who said it's not fair on people who like Martin Scorsese films I'm not forcing anyone to listen to this small scale podcast and I'm not stopping anyone from watching his films it's just a joke based on the fact I originally started this literally the reason it's called it's good except it sucks is that i know these aren't high art but they are worthy of so much more than people just sneering at them yeah that was my whole point was to do some discussion yeah actually probably a lot of the people complaining about me using the same gag again and again they're probably big fans of Stuart lee you know <laughs> what does he do i've always been self-aware about this but at the same time they're all joining the fray now i mean who was it the other week there's yet another director and they did make me think now i'm not not saying in any way the two are ideologically related. I don't think that at all. But if you look at what's going on in comedy, there are a lot of white men of a certain age who were once fated for, you know, forcing back the boundaries and making art into huge high commerce that aren't necessarily in that position anymore, are non-stop complaining that you can't say anything these days or I won't get a show made because I'm old without apparently actually trying to do anything to get a show. You know, without yeah. coming up with a new original idea. I think it's a very misguided kind of counterpoint to that in that what harm is it actually doing Ken Loach who was never exactly packing out cinemas anyway? I think it's just the beauty of it is that and I can kind of I can understand the people who are worried about the saturation of it all because I completely get that if you're not a Marvel person if you don't like superhero films and the box office is being dominated sort of five or six times a year by a genre you do not like I can understand why you wouldn't want all that discourse but other films are they're still being made and the problem with streaming that is that a lot of the films that would have been in cinemas are now going to television I mean Martin Scorsese made The Irishman for television and you know I watched Glass Onion in a cinema a couple of weeks ago 
and it's a brilliant film it was in cinemas for a week and then because Wakanda Forever was on at the same time and it was owned by Netflix so it's now on because they want people watching their things so I feel like media and entertainment in general is kind of in a weird place now and I think superhero fans like us as superhero fans as Marvel fans we have to treasure this while we can because at some point if you look back at sort of eras of cinema back in the 50s and 60s it was all westerns in the 70s and 80s it was all because of Star Wars it was all space films it was all sci-fi and eventually the superhero film bubble is going to burst and they're not going to have the money to make all the things and make all the adaptations of all our favorite characters and when you compare it to dc and you compare it they're getting at worst they're getting mixed reviews no one is there have been no truly terrible mcu films television shows is another matter but there have been no truly terrible mcu films i don't think and that is a after 30 films it's a huge achievement and i think it's just there's a kind of stigma around blockbuster anyway there always has been the Oscars are never awarding you know there's been one fantasy movie that's won best picture and that was Lord of the Rings and that was because they couldn't ignore it any longer that's a wider discussion to be had I think well I will say actually I will clarify that I don't necessarily even blame all those directors as such it's the response that people pick up the bat on the run with it I mean recently I feel bad about bringing this up because it was somebody on Twitter but somebody sent me an unsolicited DM with a list of moments in Martin Scorsese films that I would like. Never mind, I had seen all of those films anyway, but why am I being set homework? Yeah. Because I had the temerity to go see Eternals. It's a difficult thing because I am always inclined to side with the people who just want to be entertained. And I don't like this idea that people should be forced to watch things for their own good to educate them. And equally, on our side, there are, as we've mentioned previously, there are the terrible people who are trying to claim parts of the MCU as high art in a really condescending way. <laughs> yes. I mean, I recently included your reaction to comments like that about Moonlight in the collection of Looks and Familiar Highlights because I don't think I can say it better than you did. But why does everything have to be art? Why does everything have to be improving? But people who aren't as clever as you. And, you know, you did get, as I mentioned in those Fantastic Four strips we're talking about, you got things like that in the comics, but you also got Spider-Man fighting the Wrecking Crew and I standing smashing up a pizza shop. <laughs> there is room for both. And there should be room for both in what you like as well. Not everything has to be a cultural badge of honour. Yeah, and I think, especially going back to, I mean, as someone who's been playing video games since the age of five, that's a medium as well that's always been sort of stigmatised and looked down on and people say oh it's not art it's a medium that's only it's very simplified it's only for you know teenagers in their basements and things like that and you know there are titles where that is the case and there are titles where they are actually trying to push the boundaries and they're trying to innovate and things like that and there is room for both and if you make something that is enjoyable it doesn't matter what it is if people like it if there's an audience for it you know diversity is a great thing and like I was thinking about this when I saw people were talking about how this summer the two Marvel TV shows that had had the least highest ratings were Miss Marvel and She-Hulk and some people were talking about how oh that means that female protagonists don't draw a crowd the way that male protagonists do and it's it's just it's absolute nonsense because it was brilliant and the thing was Miss Marvel if you take out the stuff about Miss Marvel that makes it Miss Marvel if you take out the fact that it's a female protagonist that she's Muslim that she's a Pakistani American what you have is a teenager in the New York New Jersey area who discovers they have superpowers and that is just Spider-Man again you know it introduces it keeps the audience coming 
happening. It keeps the stories fresh. And people that sort of paint it all as being the same, like every single superhero is generic, it's formulaic and all that sort of thing. They all have their own kind of genre. We've talked about this before. Guardians of the Galaxy is a Star Wars film, basically. Black Widow was like a James Bond film. Shang-Chi obviously is Eastern influence with its sort of Kung Fu movies and things like that. Every film is kind of different in its own way. And I think that's one of the reasons for its longevity and its successes where other franchises like X-Men, like DC films, where they've all kind of been the same, really. I mean, I haven't seen all of them, so I can't really comment on that. But I think it's thriving for a reason. And there will always be something, if you have something that massive and that successful, there will always be people who either think it's not as good as it used to be or people that wish it wasn't as successful as it was because it's distracting from the things that they want to see or the thing that they want to see is no longer as popular as it once was. And me speaking as a fan of rock music who has watched rock music die a slow, painful death over the last 20 years as, you know, hip hop and synth pop and pop music and all the stuff that's popular now has sort of taken over the mainstream. And, you know, good for it. It's good stuff. It's just not my cup of tea. I can't be bitter about that because that's what people want to see now. That's what people want to listen to. The thing that has really frustrated me, which you kind of touched on the previous instalment of this, is how long it is taking for new characters to reappear. I mean, they're now mentioned in one of the Werewolf Final episodes that on Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, Rhea Lena, yeah, they yeah. mentioned that Hercules showed up at the end of Thor, Love and Thunder, and she basically says, well, that's if they decide to do anything with him. You know, it's one scene in one movie. And obviously the logic is they've cast a name as him. It's Hercules, one of the next wave of Avengers. They will do something with him. But we're at the stage where Agatha Harkness hasn't reappeared yet, despite being a huge breakout character, Monica Rambo. There's a whole weird thing with Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Her storyline has clearly been broken up by the whole reordering of things. Yes. And it's a little, when is she going to actually do something? I would say, going back to the post-credit scenes in Eternals, now, I had already had Star Fox spoiler for me by Steve Wright, which I'm still a little bit angry about, <laughs> but suddenly Pip the Troll appears out of nowhere. People might not like the CGI done there, but, you know, it was done during the pandemic, so maybe make some allowances. I didn't think it looked that bad anyway, but you've also got... No, I thought it was all right. Dame Whitman finding the Ebony Blade being interrupted by Blade. Where are any of them? I left the cinema on a high thinking, wow, about all four of them. And there's still no sign of them in yeah. anything. And even allowing for production hiccups and so on and people's availability, that is a little bit frustrating. I think the problem with it is they have so many characters now. Because it used to be, back in the day, you had the teaser for Thor, you had the teaser of Mjolnir at the end of, was it Iron Man 2? And then Thor was the next film. You had the teaser for Captain Marvel at the end of Infinity War. And that was, what, two films? Yeah, you had Ant-Man and then you had Captain Marvel. It was the next film after that. Whereas now, they're teasing stuff where you don't know when they're going to show up because nothing's been announced yet. They're announcing 10 or 12 films at a time and none of them are the thing that you know is coming. And that is, it's up to on its head. They're teasing stuff and they don't know if or when they'll get to it. And I think that's, you're leaving audiences hanging at that point as if you're kind of acknowledging that these characters exist and you're bringing them in. But people want to see them and you can't say coming soon. It's like saying coming soon and then people go, well, when is soon? And, you know, how long is soon? Three years away is not soon. And we have to acknowledge that sometimes they have teased stuff and never follow through on it. Like, and this might be Sony's doing, but at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming, we see Scorpion, played by Michael Mando. And, you know, there's a tease that maybe Vulture might be coming back and then they go in a different direction. You know, there's different things going on and not all of them actually lead somewhere. And if they don't lead anywhere, then they can just write it off and they can have a throwaway line about, oh, that was happening, but then we stopped that. They're not always 100% 
successful. But the thing is, you do not cast Harry Styles if you do not have plans for him. It is as simple as that. Unless he has plans of his own and he might not want to come back, but that's their problem. We should also just mention the two Sony movies that come out, which did tie in whether people like it or not with Spider-Man No Way Home. Venom Let There Be Carnage and Morbius. Neither of which perfect, and I don't think anyone should be really looking to to Sony (laughs) Spider-Man films for how to make a movie, but personally I enjoyed both of them. But I think a large part of that, the one thing they've really got in their favour was, whatever they were, they were not long enough to become boring. They clock in at pretty much 90 minutes apiece. And going back to what we're saying about the TV specials, I think there's a lesson to be learned there. I think so, because there were some, I mean, some of the television shows that they did, sometimes six episodes wasn't long enough, and sometimes six episodes was too long, and it should have been a film. I think they have an issue with pacing sometimes on this, where they order six episodes of something, and then they go and write it without thinking, should this be a movie? And they've kind of fixed that now. Like, there's an Armor Wars was originally going to be a television show, and I think now they're making it a film. And they're changing things all the time and looking at the stuff that they've got coming up the vast majority of it are people that we've seen before i'm looking at phase five right now we've got ant-man 3 guardians 3 captain marvel 2 captain america 4 then we've got thunderbolts which is full of people we've seen before and then we have blade which is the first original property of that there's also going to be deadpool 3 at some point and who knows who he'll bring in from other universes for that they've got so many characters in the bank now and i'm worried that i mean we have this conversation every time we talk about the mcu that they've just got so much to work with right well let's wrap things up what was your favorite part of phase four your favorite moments your favorite film your favorite show however you want to take it well it says quite a lot and it says quite a lot against some of the criticisms of phase four that i'm finding it very hard not just to whittle things down to one or two answers but in any sort of coherent list because off the top of my head on the one hand there's actually going to see black widow in the cinema at a time when we didn't really know if new films would ever come out in cinemas ever again yeah that could be the end of of theatrical exhibition for financial reasons more than anything. There's a surprise at how good Hawkeye was because I was not expecting that. But then you've got Daredevil and Kingpin coming back. You've got the use of characters from other non-MCU Marvel films, which people are forgetting started with the recast Pietro in One Division. Yes, and it's carried on from that. I mean, the most famous one, obviously, being Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in Spider-Man: No Way Home. But there've been quite a few nods towards that. And we've even got things like the alternate Lokis and Loki. I know they were from other properties but that was a great idea the Thanos copter was in Loki as well when they <laughs> no, tried I forgot to do about a, that. a Spider-Man comic for kids and again that version of Thanos showed up in What If I think they're embracing things like that really well I like the fact that the longer form shows although like you say they've had pacing issues they've brought back the idea of appointment viewing they really have, you know, people waiting for something to come out each week and getting excited about it rather than... I think one of the reasons the Netflix shows floundered a bit was that they're available to watch all in one go. You do not watch... I mean, I was going to say Iron Fist, but even season one of Luke Cage, if you watched all of them in order, you would get a bit fed up at some points. Yes. You know, when you're making an episodic TV show, it's made to be watched in instalments. So you can do things that don't look right when you watch everything back to back. I've liked that they've revisited characters from that badly adrift initial Hulk movie. And they've <laughs> yes. brought them back in various capacities and there are more to come, which gives me hope that we are going to see Fitz and Simmons again. Oh, I hope so. As well, they've brought people back like Jimmy Woo, Darcy. There's been so much that I've liked. If I had to narrow it down, I mean, this is taking some narrowing, 
I think my favourite movie would be Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings because it got everything right, including things that other films had got wrong. Yeah. And for all the criticism, all the highbrow, condescending, looking down at the things there might be, how many movies that big, that financially successful, have been in Mandarin for the first ten minutes? Yes. Best series. Again, it's difficult to say. Very, very closely nudging out She-Hulk and Werewolf by Night. I think it has to be Loki. Because, again, I don't think that put a foot wrong anywhere. And I like the way it got more and more nightmarish, I suppose, as it went on. But the, it wasn't traditional nightmarishness. It was more and more bureaucracy, really. That's what it was really all about. Paperwork and rules and regulations getting out of control. And also seeing the TVA on screen and things like that. So that was I remember you saying that that was a deep cut you weren't expecting. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, well, like I say, I thought they'd never do Hercules. I thought because of how important they'd been in the Infinity Gauntlet, they weren't going to see Star Fox and Pip the Troll. You know, somebody like Moonlight being given that kind of prominence I didn't expect. I thought at best he'd be a supporting character in something. It's that willingness to take what are often relatively less known characters, even to people who read the comics, and put them on that bigger stage. Here they are willing to take that risk, and 9 times out of 10, it's paying off. I didn't imagine there would be a world... <laughs> <laughs> people were excited about this martial artist character who, like I say, only turned up infrequently when I was a kid. This martial artist character who had so much sort of problematic stuff that they managed to, they either managed to get rid of it or they made it work in yeah. modern day and, and sort of celebrate his Asian background rather than, you know, mocking it or stereotyping it, which I thought was really, really well done. I think Shang-Chi is my favourite, although I think No Way Home, that was built on nostalgia because I loved seeing Dr. Octopus and Alfred Molina and people like that again but i think that one was a big high in, but in terms of what made me excited for going forward i think shang chi was probably my favorite as well i loved seeing black widow i loved natasha's backstory i loved that scarlett johansson got her moment to shine at last and then this year's films i mean i think 2022 movie wise has been a bit of a bit of a damp squib for me like multiverse of madness was good it was enjoyable i think it was a victim of its own hype with a name like that thor love and thunder took everything that worked about thor ragnarok and dialed it up too much in terms of leaning into the comedy side of things and not giving Gore the God Butcher any gods to butcher. Wakanda Forever, I think, again, it's not their fault. Their leading man was no longer there, but it kind of felt like a cast of supporting characters without a leading person. And I think that was another thing that... It, I mean, the people that were in it were fantastic. It just felt like... It felt a bit of a mess to me. And then the TV series, I mean, WandaVision was brilliant. Falcon and the Winter Soldier was okay. Again, pandemic hit. But it introduced a couple of good characters that I'm excited to see well, going again, forward. Well, John Walker. I know he's going to be in Thunderbolts, but given he made such an impact. Yeah. And what's going on? What was Sharon Carter up to? Yeah. And that was something I wasn't expecting. And I'm curious to see, because again, we've got Secret Invasion coming up and any one of the characters we've seen. I suppose that's the beauty of having something like Secret Invasion. If there's a poor reception to a character turning out to be evil or something like that like personally I was like Sharon Carter's the power broker really where are they going with that I liked her but they do have they can pull the sort of oh she was a scroll all along kind of thing they can write themselves out of that corner I thought it was good to see those characters again I think it could have been a little bit better Loki was brilliant What If was good fun although I think again you mentioned in the Werewolf by Night episode we were cursing about how a couple of the episodes could maybe have been cut and you would never have noticed the difference I think it's between Hawkeye and Ms. Marvel for my favorite i loved hawkeye so much and again that was the most down to earth that was the least weird of it It was just hawkeye fighting some goons in new york and i loved every second of it and i didn't expect that 
that from, let's be honest, I mean, I've, I've labeled them this before, but when you look at the members of the Avengers and you've got Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, Thor, and the other two, one of my favorite films of this year was from one of the other two, and one of my favorite TV shows in this year was from the other one of the other two. Oh, but Miss Marvel was so good. I loved Miss Marvel so much. I rewatched it like two or three times, not just because I'm a Bon Jovi fan, but I think she's such a brilliant character, and Iman Vellani is such a perfect casting for that. And then She Hulk was a completely different from everything else, because if we're honest, every other TV series up to that point had been kind of along the similar lines, and that was completely something new. And yeah, once you got used to that, I think it was good fun, especially the finale. The finale with Kevin Feige as a giant robot and all that was brilliant. I loved that so much. And then yeah, Werewolf by Night was fantastic, short and sweet, and I wanted so much more of it. it I thought it was perfect. And then Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. I mean, it's Guardians. It's Christmas. You know, I had a good time with it. And I think, yeah, that kind of takes us full circle. All right. Well, so going back to the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, I have one question for you, Tim. If you could kidnap any MCU character to spend Christmas with, who would it be? Okay. well, completely sidestepping the possibility of getting cancelled, because whatever answer I give, somebody will probably find a reason to take offence at it. Maybe I should kidnap Martin Scorsese instead. That might be the answer. No, (laughs) I'd go for the cast of Rogers the Musical from Hawkeye, because, you know, you've got that big Christmas musical. I really want to know what the other songs were. How did they tackle Ultron? Was there a song called On Your Left with Sam running across the stage? Oh, you could get them to have a private performance for you in your own house, which, you know, I don't know if that would make your Christmas better or worse. Well, if they incorporated Peggy's song from Agent Carter, I'll just leave that there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Fantastic answer. Well, on that note, Tim, thank you and Excelsior. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.